Hi guys, before we get started with this week's episode, we just have a little bit of news for you. Oh yes. We do. The news is that we now have a dedicated section on the official Manchester United app just for our podcast. Mazed Garnet, loving it? Yes, loving it. We know what you're thinking. Why should I move my favourite podcast app all the way over to a new app? Well, two reasons. Reason one is that you will get the podcast a whole 24 hours earlier. I think that's a really good reason. That's 24 hours earlier than everywhere else. And you can be first in line to hear every new episode. Yeah, and reason number two is it allows us to bring you so much more than just the episode. So if we talk about goals, you'll be able to see the goals within the app. And you'll also see associated articles and something a lot of people have requested. You'll be able to watch more episodes of the podcast all in one one place which to me seems sensational Mm -hmm. but if you're not convinced and want to stay where you are that's fine too we'll still bring you our pods right here every week as usual right here right now but also if you're on the app you won't have to sit through us telling you all this every time that's good isn't it yeah because this is going to get repeated if you're listening on something else but not on the app Uh, anyway that's it the official Manchester United app now has a podcast section loads going on in there check it out now on with this episode download the app oh it's a brilliant The agility he showed there. Well, he was like a gymnast rather than a goalkeeper. Here's Keane to point at the substitute. Big hand, big save from Tim Howard. And Beattie! And a spectacular save from Tim Howard. James Beattie thought his moment had come. Calmed over by Tim Howard. Okay, Samuel, crack on. Hello and welcome to United Podcast. We are talking to you live from Old Trafford. Obviously, it's not really live, it's a podcast. You're playing this at your convenience. And also, this podcast didn't take place in Old Trafford. It's just where we are right now, isn't it, David? It is. Yeah. Bit nippy, but it's good. A bit nippy. Yeah, and we're about to be joined on Zoom in a conversation we had. Well, we already had it, haven't we, Helen? We have, Sam. I've used questions to draw you both into this opening link. How did you feel about that? Unfortunately, we weren't able to go the whole way to... Memphis, yes. That would have been a trip. Would have been great, wouldn't it? Oh. You ever been? I have. What's good about Memphis? The music, the bars, just different class. I actually went with Norman Whiteside. Did you? So you yes. So can't really remember much of the bars. <laughs> but yeah, you great had a lovely trip. time. Great trip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are, of course, about to be joined uh, on Zoom by Tim Howard, um, who had, a, I guess, a, a more difficult career as a goalkeeper at United than people we could think of at the moment because usually you just think of a number one so like Van der Sar Fabian Barthez Peter Schmeichel David De Gea but of course he had to fight all the way through Mm -hmm. with Roy Carroll I'm very much under the radar really Mm -hmm. the way he came into the club nobody really knew much about him but it'd be interesting to see how that meteoric rise came about yeah he was very young wasn't he when he came he was for a goalkeeper yeah yeah very young Maisie off the pitch as well he's openly spoken about Tourette's syndrome which he has suffered with um, I think from about 12 years old. Yeah. We know dressing rooms can be a tough place sometimes. Dressing rooms are brutal. They are. They can be um, make or break, really. It's, uh, it's a, it can be a cruel, cruel place. But uh, I'm sure we'll hear all about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, but also there's all the, the incredible highs that he had in his career. He's got the world record, hasn't he, for number of saves made in a single World Cup match. Got a phone call from Barack Obama after that one, although they lost, so I suspect he wasn't absolutely delighted with that. Um, won the How FA cool Cup, didn't he, How when cool he was at United? He did win the FA Cup, yeah. 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 Just on the world record, Sam, don't you have a world record? I've broken 11 world records, haven't I? 11? Yeah. Wow. More than you saying Bolt, but who's counting? <laughs> I am. I'm counting. Okay. <laughs> 
we, no. we, we need another podcast uh, so that you can talk about run through 11. the 11 yeah. world records. Oh, we don't. Once you knew what they were, you'd be far less I'm impressed. sure you'd rather have Tim Hards, though. Yes. Yeah, I would. <laughs> right. We're going to go now then to our chat with Tim Howard. And as we join the conversation, it's in the middle of a quiz that, um, well, Maisie posed a question. Maisie, can you remind us what that question was? I actually posed a question on the way back from doing the G-Sung Park to Helen and mm-hmm. to Andy. Um who was on a lovely train back journey from London. Mm-hmm. And um, the question was, starting with the letter A, going through with the whole alphabet, leading goal scorers with a surname beginning with A, B, C, D, and so on. Mm-hmm. In the Premier League. In the Premier League. Yeah. Yes, we were with Andrew from the press office. I think I performed quite well on that quiz, actually, may I say. You, didn't you guys struggle to get past A? Weren't you still trying no, to do A? No, Isn't no, no, no. I, got got a, I got A straight away. Straight away. We got oh, did a. you? Oh, yeah. right. Okay. The joint when me and you were struggling. Right, perfect. Yeah. You two struggled to get A. We did. Well, Yourself and producer Task. Some of us are less concerned with players from the blue side of town. Oh, spoiler. Yeah, big time spoiler. Here's Tim Howard. I can't believe you can't get this. Oh. I know, I can't either. It's incredible. Okay, I'm letting Tim Howard in and we'll pick up this chat in a minute. In fact, maybe Tim will know. Maybe Tim can help us. Yeah. Hi, Tim. Everyone, how are you? How's everyone going? Hey, Tim. Hi, Tim. Good, how are you? Good, good, good. You can maybe help us actually. With uh, Maisie's just given us a quiz question. A to Z of uh, Premier League goal scorers. A, the, the top Premier League goal scoring with a surname beginning with A. It's not Adebayor. Top Premier League goals. Wow, that's a good one. Um, Tim, it must, it, it, it's probably banged a few past you, pal. <laughs> yeah, that, that doesn't narrow it down, does it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, good one. Who knows it? Do you know it, David? I know. Yeah, yeah. Helen knows it. Yeah. I can't believe it. It must be about the f- fifth, sixth leading goal scorer in the Premier League. What? It's definitely surname, so it's not Alan Shearer. It's definitely surname. No, because... It's so easy that you'll be really annoyed when you hear it. Uh, yeah. I have a feeling that would happen, for sure. Aguero. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well done. <clears throat> All right. Oh, lads. I was trying <laughs> to think of really basic names. I was going, like, Adams, Atkins... <laughs> Just trying to like put a surname and then hope the player would come. And it's on Sky every single week. Every yeah. week. We're off and running anyway. Mm. Great. Where are you joining us from today? I'm in I'm at home at uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. So normally I'm up I'm up working for NBC in New York on the weekends, but back home during the week, so relaxing. What's the distance between those two places? Sorry, my knowledge of American states aren't so, great. So so my, my, my English friends would laugh at me because I would say, Oh, it's only two hours which means it's a two-hour flight. Um, so, you know, in, in, in England, you say two hours, you're like, oh, you just pop into Birmingham or something. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a quick two-hour flight, so I sleep and do work, and then easy. So you're based there half of the week and half of the mm-hmm. week? Yeah, so okay. mo- most then it, during the week, I'm here with my kids, and my daughter plays soccer, my son. He's starting to drive now, so he's being a teenager and wor- working, a, working a job. So, yeah, just hanging out and working from home and then I you know, travel up on the weekends and then it all happens. Okay, cool. Oh, cool. That, Memphis is great. Yeah. yeah, Memphis is a place. Memphis is cool. Lots of good food, lots of good music, tons Beautiful. of history. Yeah. yeah. So also the artwork behind you. Yeah, that's a local artist. So um, really, really kind of cool, special for, uh, you know, when I, when I bought the house, my they wanted to have, give me something local. So it's awesome. awesome. Do you know what? I had a question I wanted to ask you and I thought it will just fall in line somewhere when we're chatting later but I feel like this feels like a perfect moment. So I think people that are from uh, that are from somewhere that isn't 
England or America assume because we all speak English that the cultures are the same. But of course, they're not. They're really different. Yes. And I suppose you would have experienced that when you lived here. Now, we all know that the Ameri- in America, you say soccer instead of football, yes, right? Yes. But when I was, uh, so, I, you know, we do some research. So we make sure what we're talking about makes sense. And, you know, everything isn't a surprise and we can ask pertinent questions. Sure. When I was reading about you, a lot of what I was reading had been written by, uh, I assume, someone who was a fan of yours from America. Yeah. So the language was different. And it's not something I've ever appreciated before. So I was reading about shutouts. <laughs> which was new for me. Yeah. Also something I'm fascinated by, uh, what is a GAA? I was trying to work it out because it would say like <laughs> through the season you achieved a, like a 1.53 yeah, yeah. GAA and I was trying yeah. to work out is, is that like goals conceded on average or yeah. something but I couldn't work it out. Goals against average, yeah. So it's goals, goals against goals average. Conceded. There you go. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we, do, we do things slightly differently over here. That's just the way it's always been, I suppose. How did you not think that would be that, Sam? <laughs> well, goals against average. Yeah, it was obvious. What an idiot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did, uh, did you ever find that difficult? Because I assume people, certainly when you came here, people took for granted that you, uh, you understood and used mm. the slang that was used here as opposed to, say, like, yeah. for example, if you were like, yeah, what a great shout-out, and then yeah. people maybe looked at you like you had three heads. Well, I learned pretty quickly. I had some unforgiving teammates, as you can imagine, and David can appreciate, <laughs> right? So, you know, you get a bit of stick, and then most of most everything I learned about about football was was in England. You know, I was I got there when I was twenty three. I was green. I didn't know much, and and then you know, I spent thirteen years. So everything I know and, and the language that I speak, it's all it's all based out of out of you know what someone in england would say and so um yeah in fact the, the day i signed for manchester united i turned up and i had a suit on and uh the press officer said i looked smart and i had never heard that before not because i don't think i was smart but because it sounded strange when she said you look smart and i didn't I was, okay i guess i look intelligent so that was my, <laughs> my, my 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 first foray into like what that is what a britishism is and i had to learn quickly <laughs> I'm not sure if you've seen any of our podcasts. Are you a podcast fan? I am very much so, and I have seen, of course, yeah. Good. Um, we do a little bit of a life story. So usually we start at the beginning, so we'll do that with you. Um, growing up, was football always the sport for you? Yeah, I, I was a rambunctious kid. And, you know, in America, we have good or bad, we have a lot of sports to choose from, particularly in the youth levels. You know, it's not like in England where there's only a handful Um and particularly socioeconomically, that's kind of the way it is in England, right? Um, the sport almost chooses you depending on on where you fall on that on that uh, that ladder. But in America, we have everything: we have baseball, soccer, basketball, hockey, football, American football. So my mom just basically said, "Choose one." She's like, "There's all these recreation programs. Get out of the house and choose one." So I was like, "All right, I'll pick soccer," you know. And I chose that, um, and I was six years old, and that was it. From any influence, or just randomly, you thought, "Yep." Just, just just kind of randomly I think it was I think it was our autumn it was our fall and that's kind of when we, we played at, at a youth level so I was like all right I'll just do that that makes sense uh, you know baseball is in the spring basketball is in the winter so if I have to pick right now I'll just I'll just pick soccer and I did and I fell in love first day I played I fell in love with it at six years old but weren't Always you also go- a really good basketball player and didn't you play like I don't know what age but didn't you play for like an American like the USA team like under 17s or something yeah, so so I mean, I was a decent basketball player. I had a couple college scholarships, which is a big deal in America when you get a college scholarship. Uh, but I had to choose. I had to choose, and I think I was a little bit better at, at football, soccer. So, yeah, uh, that's that's kind of where I ended up. And I think you, David, would you ask me about position? 
I was just going to say, it was Joe as a goalkeeper? Yeah, and so so I, I I was a bigger kid. So like when you look at my team photos, when I was I was like the the height of the coach, you yeah. know. So I, I sprouted up quickly. So big kid always goes in goal. So I was like, I, they, but I I didn't love it at first. So my coaches would always be like, we really think you're a good goalkeeper, but you play the first half in in goal and then the second half in the outfield. So I said, all right, that's fine. And, but <laughs> then I, I I grew to love it. I grew to love it. So what was life like for you growing up? Have you got brothers and sisters? Mm-hmm. Was the family sporty? Did you have to focus on education or was yeah. it, you know? Yeah, it was, well, my, my, I had an older brother who played uh, American football and, uh, and baseball. So he was kind of like the person I looked up to when I was growing up. And then yeah, my family wasn't incredibly uh, sporty, but very supportive. So like, you know, my mom was always taking us here and there and up and down. The, uh, and it's strange because we don't have... We have localized football in, in, in the youth levels here in America, but we travel so much, you know, like all the big tournaments up and down the East Coast. So I, I lived in, I'm from New York, New Jersey area. We drive down to Florida, you know, on a, on a certain weekend. We drive to North Carolina, which is, you know, 20 hour drive. You know what I mean? It's it's long. And so you spend it. It's 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 crazy. Amer- American youth soccer is crazy. So, um, yeah, it was just a ton of support and love. And so, like, when I look back, I'm like, I'm not surprised that I was able to achieve some of the things I did because I had so much backing. Is it, is it, am I right in thinking when you say American youth soccer is crazy and you had a lot of backing, did your, I don't know, did your mum take you to like a, like a training session where she paid for you to go? Yeah. And yeah. like that guy there is the guy that went, oh, he's going to be great. And then yeah. sort of yeah. took you under his wing. Yeah, well, that, that was that was my, my story. But like in America and probably, you know, you, you'd need... 10 podcast episodes to, to get it sorted, but we, it's a, we have a pay to play model. So a lot of, you know, when, when, you know, when we talk about like with David, when we think about where are, where, where does Wayne Rooney come from? Where does this, they come mm-hmm. from the street, they come from the streets and they're self-made. Um, and they basically stand on the side of, of, of a Sunday league begging their uncle and their dad to put them in and they figure out how to climb the ranks in America. It's all, who has the most money, who can pay for registration and kits, uniforms, travel, you know, you, you got to have money. You got to have money to travel and to do all these things. And so our model isn't brilliant in terms of development, but it hasn't been for a while. Um, but for me, yeah, I had, there was a goalkeeper coach who ran a local session basically in a park at a local school and, uh, you know, took me under his wing, just thought I, I had a little bit of something and kind of molded me and shaped me and became my mentor. At what age did you realize that you could make a career out of football then? Um, yeah, I think great question. I was, I was probably about, again, we don't have the, the, the youth reserve team, youth team yeah. levels where you can just say, Hey, I, this kid's pretty good. He's 16 years old. Let's get him in a system. Um, so for me, it was, I was playing for my youth national teams under, you know, 17s and all that kind of stuff. Um, it was probably around that time, about 15, 16 years old, where I just thought, I want to I want to pursue this. But again, you have to appreciate there is no roadmap. Well, back then, it wasn't a roadmap for a 16-year-old. It was just a dream. It wasn't like, oh, I, I live I live in Merseyside, so my dream is to get into the Liverpool Academy mm-hmm. or the Everton Academy. There, there, there wasn't that pathway. So my dream was just like, I want to play professional soccer. You know, people where? I don't know. How? I don't know. You know, it was just not – it was just kind of a dream. Was there any team as a kid that you followed? Did you – Follow any English football? Uh... <clears throat> no, because <clears throat> here's the, here's the thing, David. We we didn't even have it on television. You know, we when I was growing up, um, there because of my local area, because of New York, New Jersey area, and all the immigrants, we had um, Italian television, right? And it was simulcast, yeah. and you could get like you can get the AC Milan game from last week, 
you know, um, and that, that was it. There was no, there was no real, um, there was no real football on television, not for a long, long time. It's so really you were, bizarre. Yeah. So go ahead, go. I was just going to say, so you watched Italian football, is that? Mm-hmm. That was it. The I mean, first football I, you got to know, really? Yeah, it was, it was Italian football and AC Milan because I knew. And then, oddly enough, just because of the size of Manchester United, I knew about this big hulking guy in a green shirt who was a goalkeeper. I later found out that that was Peter Schmeichel, you know, but because of, because of the notoriety of, of who Manchester United was and because of how great those teams were, uh, in the, you know, in the mid nineties, it was always this image that I had and, and which is, Again, the irony and all of it after, after going and playing for Manchester United and all that. So yeah, that's pretty cool. But again, it wasn't a ton. There wasn't there wasn't any idols. There wasn't anything on television. I didn't have posters in my room. They just it wasn't available to me. We spoke to Giuseppe Rossi, yeah. and he told us how hard it was to use the local vernacular to get a pickup game together. Oh yeah, because yeah. nobody played. So yes. did you find that, or was it easy to get to get like soccer going? Uh, no, I, 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 we didn't have that. I, I would get my mom who does not play football, not play football. <laughs> we had, we lived, we lived in an apartment complex and, uh, and it was this brick wall and I used to roll it out to her and she would just toe it. She'd kick her toe into the bushes and I'd die for it. <laughs> and that was it. But in fact, in fairness, in fairness to Giuseppe, where he lives, he's from, he's from like kind of up my, near my area where he mm-hmm. lives is a ton of immigrants, a ton of Polish, a ton of Italians. So the, he would ha- have had more of an ability to like find some of the older men in the park playing pickup, you know, because that's what they do because uh, of their immigrant status and how big football is over the, uh, you know, throughout the world. And um, yeah, so he lived in a little bit of a different area. Tim, can I just ask you, when we're talking about your childhood, it's been quite well document- mm-hmm. documented, sorry, when you were around 10 years old, yeah. you first started to realize the symptoms of what mm-hmm. then became Tourette's and mm-hmm. OCD and you've you've talked about how you hated school uh, yeah. for an interview saying that you hated school and maybe that was because of the reason but if you could give anybody who doesn't know anything about that yeah. story a little bit of an insight into what life was like for you sure. as going into your teenage years I suppose with those what became yeah. conditions yeah well, well that's it's funny one of, one of the reasons and I think you're going on to, to, to the question Sam you had but one of the reasons I loved soccer was because it was Uninhibited and, and, and I, in all of my other world, I was bottled up. But I could go on a soccer pitch and I could be in a park and it was no real rule. I was I was a fast kid. I was strong. Coaches loved me. So I could do what I wanted. I just, they blew the whistle and I just went. I, I was slide tackling. I mean, I got to a point where my coach would say, no more slide tackling. You always end up on the ground. So I was slide tackling. I was running. I was kicking. It was, it was great. It was my freedom. You know, when I was about nine or 10 years old, I was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome, which also comes with associated disorders like hyperactivity and, and obsessive compulsive disorder. And so there was a lot of, and so it was hard to sit still in school. It was hard to, um, you know, be at home in my room trying to like, again, just be contained. I loved being outside. I loved just being being allowed to do whatever it was I wanted to do. And, and, and football gave me that opportunity. And Tourette's syndrome is, is a neurological disorder, normally physical tics, sometimes vocal tics. Um, and so, yeah, for me, that's kind of where, I mean, I love soccer just for what it was. I loved it, but it was, it also gave me that freedom to say like, okay, this is the one place that I was judged for something else. If I was in the supermarket or I was at school, maybe kids would um, make fun or maybe people would snicker and sneer and look where when I was on the soccer field or all they cared that I scored goals. 
when I was yeah. on the basketball court, all they cared was that I could dunk a basketball. Nothing else mattered. And to me, you can imagine as a young kid, that was like, oh, okay, this is this feels good because it was you know a boost for my ego. And did you find then that because you was good at sport that you didn't get picked on, or was that a continuous thing that you had to just put up with? Yeah, and so like I I I work with a lot of children with T, with TS now, and 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 you see different, you see you see the gamut. You see some kids who are really strong in terms of their their willpower, their self esteem, and you see some kids who are low. That's natural. Yeah. I was I was never really low low because I I, I played sports. I had friends yeah. who played sports. You know, I was a big, I was a bigger kid. I could look after myself. I wasn't, you know, I didn't get pushed around physically. Nobody was ever going to mm. do that. Um, I had some popular friends. So, so in that regard, um, I, I, you know, I was okay. Obviously, as you can imagine, they with pe- people oftentimes, which is worse, they snicker and sneer in the corner. They don't actually say it to your face. And so you can kind of hear it. And that almost makes it worse. Yeah. Um, you'd rather them come up to you and, and be confrontational, but, yeah. um, so yeah, it was it was something that I didn't I didn't deal with in terms of being bullied, but again, as a teenager, and I think everything upsets a teenager, whether it be acne or being you know uh, you know having TS or not being good at sport. It, it, being a teenager is tough. I have teenagers myself, and so you know I try and help them with that as well. We have we have loads of kids who listen to this. Mm-hmm. To those kids out there, then mm-hmm. who who have those symptoms, what would your advice be? Well, you know, I, I always I always say that the, my 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 job is to be a voice for the voiceless until they mm-hmm. have enough, you know, until we're able to help them self advocate because they have to go out into the into the world. And you know, I I've always said that for me this was this was a speed bump, not a stop sign. I use that phrase a lot. That yeah, there's some there's some difficult trying times, but I always say everyone has something. Um, sure. I have TS, but every everybody is dealing with something, and so um, you know, being compassionate number one to others, but also driving yourself forward knowing that this won't be if you want to achieve something you want to be a footballer if you want to be a solicitor if you the Tourette syndrome won't stop you from doing that yeah so it's never it never deterred anything that you did growing up as a child Mm. and would you have said then that sport was a great outlay Mm. for you for that reason yeah I think I think I worried you know I, I think I think when I was Gosh, when, you know, when it came on at 10 years old and then I'm going through puberty, you know, it's like, well, will I be able to drive a car? Will I be able to play sports? Will I be, be able to date girls? I mean, these are all unknowns that I didn't, I, I wasn't, you know, my, my mind was going and going. But yeah. um, no, it never deterred me at all. You know, in fact, it was, it, again, it became, it became the great equalizer because, as I said, I, I could go and I could go to Old Trafford and I could play and it could be 50, 60, 70,000 people. I could go and... And although that 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 is that is anxiety provoking and anxiety brings on more of my ticks and more of my twitches, what people have to understand is that's what they see. But I don't see that. I, I see that when I'm sitting in my room. I see that mm-hmm. when I'm sitting in my office doing work. But when I get on the pitch and there's 10 red shirts and then there's 11 blue shirts and there's all this noise, my focus is so on the ball. Everything else is just this blur. And that was my outlet. That was my like that was for me. I mean, imagine being in my body and. Tourette syndrome is is kind of everything that it, it's my whole being. This allowed me to have freedom from those shackles, which nothing else offered me. You know, nothing else like that was offered. And so, yeah, it was it, for me. It was it was it, not only did it not deter me, it gave me more focus and drive in those moments. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic that other children, you know, mm-hmm. young children, have you. 
to speak out about something like that. I'm not sure whether you you had someone in the public eye whenever mm-hmm. you were that age, but certainly for children nowadays, yeah. it's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. So going back to your football then, you said at about 15 or 16, mm-hmm. that's when you thought you might make it professional. Tell us about the journey uh, after that then. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, you know, we had a, the, the MLS, what we know now as Major League Soccer, was in its infancy. It started in... 1996, which was my, you know, I had two years left in high school at that time. And there was a, you know, there was a program within that, 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 that was, that were taking select youth from across America and, mm-hmm. and not placing them with a home team, but kind of bringing them almost as like a, a, a young traveling team, trying to develop them through coaching. Again, it was still pretty primitive. Um, and I was selected as one of those players and we kind of, um, the MLS itself talked to my mom and dad and said, like, this is the program we have, if he's interested, et cetera. So I signed professionally as uh, I was leaving high school, about 17 years old. I signed a professional contract worth, I don't know, I think, it, listen, I was I was making no money. So yeah. the fact that I was getting, I don't know, $200 in my pay packet every two weeks or something was amazing because I was a teenager and I had money in my pocket. My friends didn't. Mm-hmm. So that was cool to me. Um yeah, and then and then you know I then signed the year later for uh, the New York Metro Stars, which is which is now New York Red Bull, uh, but the Metro Stars is who I uh, I was signed by uh, by Manchester United from a few years later. How did that move come about? <laughs> not, not, not the United, not the United move, the yeah. one before it. To get <clears throat> well, to the... it was again once you signed for that that program that MLS had put on for the for the younger um, players, you were then kind of. Dr- drafted or grandfathered into your local team. Their their idea was to keep you, not to take Tim Howard from New Jersey and then send him to the Los Angeles Galaxy. Yeah, yeah. It was to try and foster that into the local team. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we have a draft, you know, in, yeah. in the rest of the world, you don't have a draft. We have a draft. So each team will have a, a certain slot, one through 20 or 25 or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and they'll select. Um but obviously, it was just a, it was just part of the, part of the process because I was always ever going to go to uh, the New York Metro Stars. And during that period of your life, you're playing in the FIFA Youth World Cup, right, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. Pan American Games, and yeah. I guess getting loads of different experiences yeah. as a young professional with ambitions to to go and hire in in the sport. Yeah. What was that like for you at that point? Did you feel like I might be on the cusp of something here? Were you always mm-hmm. getting the number one shirt? Yeah, well, it's a great question because I think as a, I think at the time when all your friends, you know, my, I think footballers can appreciate this more than most. When you're a footballer, you all of a sudden have to become an adult, and all my friends are going to college and partying, and, and, and like I think ultimately I'm going to be, I'm going to end up higher on the food chain than them. But at the time, you're like, hey, I want to go to a college party too. What, what do you mean I have to go to training? I got, I got to fly to Mexico or Panama to play a soccer game. This is stupid, you know. And you're just a kid. Um, but I did realize at the time, particularly as a goalkeeper, I was a number two or number three for the New York Metro Stars. I wasn't getting any games. And so I was, I was able to get games with youth national teams, um, whether it be a select team. I was just able to play football. And I think that for me was um, it was so vital. And I, I remember thinking even even at that young age, it felt better to be on the pitch you know, at a lower level than it did to be sitting on the bench or in the stands somewhere else. And so um, – you know, I knew that it was a key part of my development for sure. Uh, and and I, number one, number two, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think I think I spent more of my career as a number one. But at, 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 even at that time, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're balancing. The, you, no one knows how good of a goalkeeper you are. The next guy is, so they kind of you play one game, he plays another game. So, 
as a kid then, what was your mum saying to all this? Was she just saying, get out there and do it or yeah, I think get your college I, work done or? Well, no, look, again, <clears throat> brilliant question. I think my mum was at the time with, with, I wasn't a great student, obviously, with my Tourette syndrome and yeah. figure. And, and this is a mom who loves her son. And it's just like, I think she sees how good I am at soccer. I think coaches are telling her he can be this. And I just think, I think, she, and she told me, you know, she just prayed that that soccer would work out. So it was never, it, it was always like, I was going this direction. She was going to keep pushing me in that direction. She yeah, was yeah. never going to say, no, no, do this or do that. She, she was praying to God every night that soccer worked out because I'm not, I'm not sure there was a balance on the other side that I, <laughs> if I didn't do football, something else would happen. Now. So how soon did you start hearing when you were playing for the Metro Stars that maybe teams from Europe were interested in you and then one of those teams was Manchester United? Was mm. was playing in Europe something that you had, a, you had an ambition to do? Yeah, look, my stories were crazy because... Uh, Going back to my, my conversation uh, a little bit earlier about like, how, how, how did I want to become a professional? Yeah, I wanted to play in Europe, but I, I had no idea. So once I started playing for the Metro Stars, my, my tagline, my thought process, yeah, yeah I want to play in Europe. I, I didn't know, I didn't know if I fit in the Belgian league and the Premier League and Italy. I had no idea. I just wanted to play in Europe. Like get me my bag and then put me on a plane, let me land over there and not want to play in Europe. It meant nothing. I had no idea. <clears throat> um, Look, I, I played in I played in MLS five years. Of those five years, I was probably year three, four. I started to get looks with the senior national team, so I was going into training camp with Casey Keller and Brad Friedel, uh, all of which you know. And you know, I was a number three. I was chasing balls down. I was I was never going to get get into a match day squad, but the the coach recognized that I was uh, Bruce Arena recognized I was a pretty good goalkeeper, and that in the years to come, I would need these type of experiences if I was going to go higher. And I. Again, I, I'll be honest. I was, I, I got a phone. I got a phone call. I was at, I was at uh, U.S. national team training camp, and you know, as Manchester United do, they have they have the the secret codes to everything in the world. They, I got a, I got a, I got a call on my hotel um, phone, and it was uh, it was Tony Coton, and just you know the goalkeeper coach at Man United back then, and he said, "Look, we have an eye on you. We want to have a, we want to you know look at you and keep keep kind of pursuing this and." You don't really have to do anything. Don't call us back. We'll just, you know, we'll keep an eye and get in touch. That was it. And then a few months later, I think I, it was one of my first or second games for the senior national just, team. Sorry, Tim, just go back to that. So you put the phone down, having just spoken to TC. Yeah, yeah. And what are you doing? Cartwheels around the around the bedroom? Or? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, yeah. Sorry, I left, I left, I left out a major part. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I phoned my mom. I phoned, I went to, I think we had, uh, I think we had, I phoned my agent straight away. And then, uh, you know, I think we had a team meal that night. I told all my teammates. <laughs> and they actually, they, I think they went and spoke to the, the, the team psychologist and, and said that Tim might be, might, obviously nobody believed me I don't even know if I believed it myself but yeah like I've always said like at that point in time I, I had I've had the great fortune that not many people get to play for Manchester United but even at that time I, I, I didn't have to play a game for Manchester United I, that was, it was a feather in my cap like Manchester is looking at me like this is yeah. great you know um, but again I was so young there was no there was no Build up. There was no like, oh, this this team in Belgium called, or this team in, in Norway called, and then you'll play there for a few years. And oh, now Manchester United. It was I was playing one season as a starter for for uh, the Metro Stars, so it was pretty crazy. It is crazy to think. I said, I, but I know you've just you've said like you're phoning everybody, but it's mad to think 
that that is the approach that Manchester United phone you and go we're watching you don't call us we'll get in touch if you carry on being good like every time you played were you not worried like it's like uh, well, May United are watching May United are watching look, May United are watching a little bit but I was also confident I, I was also excited you know and then um, and, and then TC came over to I, I was one of my first uh, full national team senior team games and we played Mexico which is a massive rivalry for America uh, in Houston and he said he was he was going to fly over and watch watch it live. So I think I actually had a pretty good game, you know, so yeah, there, there was pressure. There was no doubt there was pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I, I think the, I think the players who ultimately make it can thrive off of that. And I was, you know, I was, I was just excited. It was, it was more, I was more on a high than I was worried, you know, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Because you also have to remember, think about it, think about it an, another way, right. For, for a really confident kid, Manchester United <clears throat> is at the tippy top of the footballing mountain. Always, always will be in my opinion, right? So they're at the tippy top of football and mountain. So I'm 22 years old. So it wasn't like, oh no, if Manchester United see me and I don't yeah. play well, they're not gonna. I was thinking now, now the sky's the limit for me. Now mm-hmm. my world has just opened up. If I go to Manchester United, amazing. But by the way, if I don't, I'll I'll fall somewhere below that. Yeah. And that's not too bad either. So mm-hmm. that it just kind of boosted everything I knew in football, my self esteem, everything. And when did it become concrete that you were actually going to move to United? Yeah. Well, again, little little did I know, you know, how how world football worked. But um, you know, I think that when you look across across world football, the 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 big teams, the mighty teams, are who they are because they have the influence and the power and they get things done. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think TC. I spoke to TC in January. He came to see me in May, and then you remember that summer was. When I signed, when Cristiano Ronaldo signed the American tour of the tour of America right. um, preseason, and went to Portugal, played sport in Lisbon, and came back, Community Shield against Arsenal. So that was that summer, and it happened that fast. He saw me in May. I think I might have played one or two more games um, for the Metro Stars, and I was on a plane over to sign uh, in Manchester. So. It happened that quickly, and obviously the work permit stuff had to get worked out because I hadn't, I didn't qualify through, um, through games played yet. So there was a little bit of that, but nothing crazy. Did, did you ever speak to Sir Alex in this time? <laughs> yeah. So, did he give you a call? <laughs> he called. Yeah, he called, and uh, <clears throat> I was actually in. I was in the airport. My last game that I my you know you talk about twenty two years old. I was, my last game I played for the Metro Stars. We were in the airport flying up to Boston, so we were playing the New England Revolution. And it had just kind of gone through. I think the work permit had gone through, so it was done, dusted. And so I think he he rang me personally and said, "Look, uh, you know, this has gone through. Welcome and all that." And we, you know, we don't want you to play this weekend. <laughs> Is that what he said? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, right? So yeah, I'm like, course, yeah. Get injured, so yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm, like in hindsight. I'm thinking I was really stupid because I just should have been like, all right, you guys enjoy the, the flight. I'm going to go watch it on TV. I think I went up and played and then he rang my manager and my manager had a little bit of a Ooh. back and forth with him. And then like, <laughs> and then like I ended up playing the game and I'm thinking to myself, here's this multi-million dollar move, dream move that could have fell apart because I'm, I'm playing on AstroTurf like an idiot. But anyway. That's yeah. So you did so actually good. play and he, did you say he phoned your agent? Uh, he phoned, I think he phoned our manager. The the oh. our Yeah. So just just to say, that can't I, have I, been a very friendly call. I don't know. I, I like like I, I, I left it on their plate. I left it on their plate. <laughs> so then, what were the what were the following steps for 
you then have to make your way to Manchester and sign a contract. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone tells you you look smart. What were those moments <laughs> like? Do you remember seeing Old Trafford and Carrington and the dressing room and stuff? Yeah, I also remember another boneheaded move I made where, so I'm in Boston and I know I'm getting on a plane in a few days with my agent to head over to Manchester to sign. So again, when we, this will illustrate for everybody when I talk about we didn't have football on TV. There wasn't pathways to youth teams, all that kind of football understanding. So the day before the Boston game, I went and uh, I went to the shopping mall and I think JCPenney's or Macy's. And I, I had a suit, I had a nice gray suit and I bought a shirt and tie and, and shoes to match. So I turned up at Old Trafford and I thought it looked smart too, even, and, and so did, and so did she. And I had a, I had a sky blue shirt with a sky blue and navy tie. Yeah, yeah. I'm signing for Manchester United, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it was only probably, not even at the time, not walking through the, the tunnel at Old Trafford. It was probably only months later that I realized, saw pictures. I thought, oh, brilliant. And I went, wait a minute. I think there's another team in Manchester that wear that. Like, but again, this is this stupid American yeah. kid. I had no idea. No idea. Understandable. At that point, so, no one else did either. They hadn't been yeah. born yet. <laughs> it's true. You're right. I agree with you. Um, and so, yeah. And so it was, it was then, that's when, that's when, to your question, it, that's when it really hit home. Like the phone calls were great and the, the, the courtship was great and signing and, and put, wearing the scarf and all that. It was all amazing. Then I get back on the plane and they're saying, okay, now you're going to meet the team in Portland, Oregon and there's a game. And now I'm like, whoa, I have to actually play? You know, this is, that's, that's a bit crazy. I don't, no one told me that, you know? So um, that was when it really sunk in, getting around those players, being in the dressing room with, with, those, with those guys and like getting a real understanding of like, I think my first day, my first day in Portland, you know, I'm on the pitch and it's hot. And I think, you know, it was Rude Van Estrell, I think after training, he popped off and he, he said something to him and he said, and he kicked the ball over the building and and he's doing extra shooting. And, you know, Sir Alex Ferguson said, get off the training ground. He's going, I'm doing more. And I was thinking to myself, what have I gotten into here? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Did you know, did you know much about the players? Venton, did you know yeah. the names and yeah at, at that stage at that stage yeah. I, I at that stage I, I knew the big teams and I, I knew who yeah. who was what I knew how you know I knew how great I knew the trouble winning season of, of 99 I knew I knew most all the players and what that was mm-hmm. like and so that that part again still really really surreal that like I, this is this is one of the only you know it's not, again it's not like I went to another club I went to a team that everybody knows I know my friends know yeah. everybody in America you know, knows there's only even to this day. I mean, Americans wear three three shirts. You know, it's it, it's it's men, men United, Liverpool, and bit of Chelsea because we've had you know yeah. we've got a, we've got a young kid there now. So, but back then everyone only knows Man United. So it, it was yeah that part was crazy, and I knew the players. Um, so to be in the dressing room with them and on the bus and in the hotel was like very strange. Um, so Tasker has sent us photos from your signing day. So if I hold it up to the camera. So Beautiful. You do look very smart. Thanks. Are you 22 in this photo? Yeah. Yeah. How old do I look? About 40. <laughs> you look like a fully developed grown man. Yeah. 22. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. Crazy. Brilliant. Brilliant. It's a very nice tie. Tim, do you know your first day in training then? Did you realise? Yeah. What, did, what did you think? Because obviously, as you say, you know, Ronaldo joined then and... Yeah, yeah. Um, re, uh, 
Was what was was it was there as well? When no, I no, he came out later. later. Scolzi and Oli and Oligon Sosar and right. just this, you know, it was. It, yeah, continue. What, with what, your was your, what was your first day training like? Obviously, you know, come to shooting practice. Yeah, yeah. Did you think, it, Jesus, this is well? Uh, that that was the one for me, Maisie. Is that like it, it was a shooting practice? I'm like, I'm a pretty good goalkeeper. I've been in Ash team a little bit, yeah. but like, you know, you're, you're jumping at the end of shooting, and like, you can't even. Your, your job is to save the ball. I, I couldn't even see the ball. I mean, when I when I when I hit it, when it hit my hands, it it, it hurt. You know, and I was just like, I, it was just so it was so strange. And I was like, wait a minute, <clears throat> I'm so many levels below here. Like, what what do I actually do? Like, how how, how do I mm. actually? So <clears throat> it was it was definitely the one one of the times in my life where I just thought, right, this is massively sink or swim. Like, you you've got to figure this out. Like, um. <laughs> On the fly, bless you. Yeah. On the fly, like you, you have to, you got to get this right now. Mm-hmm. It was not going to be the time. <clears throat> so that that was really difficult and daunting, for sure. So your debut was the Phoenix Shield. It was against Arsenal. How did that go for you? What was the day like? Brilliant. Get some pictures of that too. That was yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was amazing. You know, it was it was it, it was like I looking back, you just like. Sir Alex Ferguson is—they call him a genius, right? And he ha- he he has things figured out, and he, and he and he makes all the right decisions. And the ones he doesn't, he gets right very quickly after. And it's like, I'm looking back, thinking, what the hell was I doing playing in that game? Like, I, I just said, amazing. A couple of weeks before, I couldn't even see the ball, let alone save yeah. it. And we're <laughs> playing against Arsenal, and and like, what? How did I get here? You know? So. Um, it went pretty good. I got to talk into it at halftime because I didn't have the wall in the right place. And, and the first uh, air dryer, first on, game. On a, yeah, first, first air dryer, first game, which is, again, it's debatable. I'm not one to argue with Sir Alex Ferguson at the time, nor now. I think the wall was in the right place, but it doesn't matter. Um, yeah. And then and then the penalty shootout and made a couple of saves. And again, it was just like, it was this fairy tale. It was this high, right? Like, yeah. sign for Man United, then playing the Chelsea Shield, and then Community Shield, and then winning a shootout against Arsenal of all teams. Like, what? This doesn't that's supposed to happen. So I was just kind of lapping it up and taking it all in, Try, trying to pretend like I, I knew what was going on. How did you deal with him shouting at you? I was just thinking, first day, first match, and you're being shouted at at half time by a man famous for shouting at people. Yeah, yeah. I, I, look, I, I, I learned very quickly not to speak back, you know, I, I, I was, I was always told, you know, and it's true. I was always told like that, even from a young age, that when a manager, not, not just Sir Alex Ferguson, but no, definitely him. Well, you know, when, when a manager speaks, you, he don't, he don't want to hear what you have to say. <clears throat> if he did it, he'd, he'd get you a cup of tea and you'd, you'd, you'd have a conversation. Managers don't want to hear what you have to say. And so keep your mouth shut and take, take it on board and, and, and get on with it. Mm-hmm. Um, we've just got pictures of that win, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Nice little chest pump with Sylvester there. <laughs> chest pump and lifted a trophy. I don't think up until that point I lifted a trophy. I don't know what that. I didn't know what that meant. It was, it was big, you know. So yeah, he is a happy guy for you though. Your teammates yeah, are absolutely yeah, yeah. celebrating John O'Shea there as well. They, they were made up. Leroy. They were made up for me. So uh, there was again, it was hard. It's hard going into you know, and I and I've and I've played on a bunch of teams and you know, uh, in England particularly it was Manchester United and Everton and. um you know, I, I had never been on a team that was amazing can attest to this. Playing for Manchester United was hard. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Not only were there egos, <clears throat> but everybody was the best. Everybody demanded the best. Everybody was selfish in a good way, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, where you didn't get that you know, Ruud van Nistelrooy was one of the greatest strikers I've ever played against with 
And he was you know, one of the most selfish. He wanted to score goals. Yeah. If you got in his way, if you didn't put the ball in, if you were conceding down the other end, he scored three and we lost four three. He's not a happy camp. Like, so, so it's very difficult. You know, again, a 22 year old, it's very difficult to play in these teams and people, you don't, you don't yet know how to take on board a talking to from the manager or from the captain or from, mm. you know, it's, it was, it's a very difficult, but, and again, I didn't, and I was so happy I experienced that at the time because I, that sets you up for success going Absolutely. forward in your career. Absolutely. I love that assessment of Manchester yeah. United players there. They yeah. are the best. <laughs> yeah. That's, how, that's the only way to put it though, isn't it? You're, yeah. you're going into a team of world-class players. Yeah. World-class players, Helen, who, who know that the track record of Manchester United is, I'm bringing you in to score goals. Guess what? We have a lot of money and we don't have a lot of patience. So if you don't score goals, yeah. that's okay. We'll get someone else in tomorrow. So you can imagine the pressure that sets up that, you know, everybody's ornery. Everybody's on edge, you know, yeah. like, so that's throughout the team. It's not like, oh, we only have a little bit of money to buy a striker, but no, no, they could buy a right back, a left winger, a striker, a goalkeeper. Like everybody's got to do their job today. Mm-hmm. Who was the goalkeeper on the bench that day? Uh, Roy Carroll. So, th- okay. so that summer, Fabian Bartes went to Marseille on loan and then myself uh, and Roy Carroll. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And did you have a good relationship with him? I'm not sure whether you've brilliant. seen our podcast with Roy. I haven't. Roy, Roy was uh, was nothing Fantastic. short of absolutely brilliant with me. He and I got on well. I think we were kind of in a similar boat, if you can imagine. Like when we brought Ed, uh, Edwin Vanessar in, who was beyond world class, like Edwin is Edwin, right? I think mm-hmm. Roy and myself were in a similar boat, Northern Ireland, America, smaller footballing countries trying to make it neither one of us were established at United neither one of us were going to be like just here's another one shirt and just go on like there was this mutual understanding that we both had to scrap and fight for it and it was brilliant for me brilliant Mm -hmm. it was really it's a really weird situation for Manchester Mm -hmm. United because everybody had been used to Peter Schmeichel and uh, Fabian Barthez and then obviously beyond that it's been Edwin van der Sand David De Gea and Mm -hmm. we've seen it maybe a little bit last season with Dean Henderson but I think probably most games now we talk about oh who's playing I don't know centre back or centre forward but you don't ever look and think well who's in goal today because it's that's the one position you expect mm-hmm. to be consistent and it mm-hmm. probably split fans as much as mm-hmm. it was difficult for you did yeah. you find it hard or because it was your first season was it like okay well this is it I'm just doing what mm-hmm. I'm doing <clears throat> um, yeah I, I found it hard probably, probably don't under, didn't understand the magnitude of what you just said there until much later you know and it was it was, it's very, it was very different for Manchester United not to have <clears throat> a, a household name in goal and look if you look across the Premier League, to digress slightly, Premier League teams aren't afforded the luxury of bringing young goalkeepers through. Very few academy goalkeepers make it yeah. to the first team. It's not, they're not yeah. a position that can happen, right? So you have to go out and buy. And, and they had they had done that for so many years. And so yeah, for 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 Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson to have me and Roy Carroll, not household names, two two guys who weren't really sure if they were going to make it or not. Uh, in goal it was hard. I think it became difficult. I, I had a I, I had a blinding first season. It was great. You know, obviously the Porto game was the one real black mark uh, on the season. But in general, I had a pretty pretty great season. But there was it just became this back and forth over the next twenty four months. That was just it kind of flip flopped, and it, it never really. I think what I learned from it, and 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 again going to Everton was was amazing, amazing for my career, and and obviously I stayed there ten years. So that speaks for itself. But I, I, what I realized with goalkeepers is you have to pick your, you have to pick your the goalkeeper who you think is right and then let them go. You know mm-hmm. because what ends up happening then is 
you have to live with mistakes. Even the best goalkeepers in the league make mistakes. What ends up happening is you begin to play to not make a mistake. Not whether Manchester United wins or loses today. How do I help the team? Win or just how do I not make a mistake? And any footballer knows that's a recipe for disaster. That doesn't that doesn't work out very well. You touched on the Porto game just then. I wonder mm-hmm. if we could speak about that for a second. I'm sure it's sure. not your best memory. Sure. But obviously that happened right at the end of the game. Porto mm-hmm. got the victory. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Jose Mourinho running down the touchline? And of course, <laughs> he then wins the Champions League and his yeah. career is made. It's kind of a sliding doors moment, I guess. I, I, I have since come to grips with the fact that I jump-started Jose Mourinho's career, yes. So it wasn't so much my mistake. <laughs> No, I, I don't even remember him running down the touchline. <clears throat> Obviously, in those moments, I, you know, it wasn't. You also have to remember where I was. Um, I think I think footballers. You know, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, footballers are very insecure. Footballers are very defensive. Footballers don't want to be criticized. And at that time, I was also. I keep saying I was twenty two years old, twenty three years old. I wasn't able to self assess as much. I could sit back. I could sit back at the end of my career and play in a World Cup and say, you and I could sit down and I could say. Here are the, the, here's 10 actions that I had. Nine of them were very good. One, uh, not so good, but I could tell you why. I, I, I wasn't able to tell you why. Like, I, I, I was like, I think I made, I made the save on the free kick against Porto. I didn't think I did much wrong. Mm. And I didn't realize that there was all this scrutiny and dissecting of, of, of every single moment. I was, I was too young to understand that. I understood that people thought it was a mistake. You know, um, the, the magnitude of it, I wasn't, I wasn't able to comprehend at that time. Do you know when you, you just mentioned that, Tim, about being young? Do you think you actually came to United too young then? Had yes. you, maybe yeah. you've had four or five years at Everton and then made the yeah. journey back over to Manchester. Yeah, I, I, look, I because think, you are thrown into the the Lions' yeah. den, really, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's incredibly astute of you to see because I think when I talk to people about my career, it's it's <clears throat> there's two sides to it. When any footballer in the world, you and I have had the pleasure of mm-hmm. playing for Manchester United. If you can play for Manchester United, if you could have the fortune of playing one game or 500 games, you go, you do it, you don't ask questions. It's the most amazing experience one yeah. footballer could ever have. Absolutely. Um, that being said, in, in a fun, hyperbole type of world, I would have I would have gone to Manchester United at 34 mm-hmm. as opposed to 22 after having played – 300, 400 Premier League games, and I understand what it's about. You know, when Edwin Van der Sar came in, and and I sat with I sat with Sir Alex Ferguson. He talked about what Edwin does. He basically said a goalkeeper for Manchester United will will do nothing for ninety minutes. Yeah, nothing. But then Edwin will pick one out of the top corner in the Champions League. And for me, as a developing goalkeeper, it was like, aha. Now that makes sense. It doesn't matter that I made a, a save in the second minute. It matters that I'm able to do it. So these are all things I had no idea. I had to learn. And I learned so much from that experience of, of, of having Edwin come in. And then again, my career took off after that and went from strength to strength. And I was delighted. But yeah, I, I, I think overall, I went to Manchester United too early. The other side of that coin is you never it's never too early, too late. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. yeah, for sure. Who did you learn from when you were at the club? You obviously said Tony Coton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was he a good guide for you? Yeah, I think from a goalkeeping standpoint, Tony was great with me, a really good goalkeeper trainer. Um, Edwin coming in my third year and just being able to work under such an incredible world-class goalkeeper yeah. um, was – and again, I, I, I do I, – if, I, if I'm allowed to credit myself with a little bit, I also – was open to that learning, right? Like I was yeah. open to, I still wanted to get away and eventually play and, and that was going to happen, you know, a year later. But 
I was open to it and realizing what I had in front of me. <clears throat> but overall, <clears throat> when I look at my footballing journey, 22 years as a professional, what I would say is the influence and impact that Roy Keane had on me is second to none. I, I think he is the most brilliant, um, calculated, tough, you could say a whole bunch of things about him. I, I, I adore, at the time, scared to death of him at the time. Um, um, you know, pro- again, didn't necessarily appreciate it. But when I moved throughout my career over the course of 22 years, I just, I had never, ever encountered somebody who had the ability to influence the game. Messi probably does. Cristiano Ronaldo, who I played, does. But the way that he was able to influence isn't that. It, 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 very few people, you know, I, I hear people talk about Patrick Vieira at, 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 with France and at Arsenal had a similar way about him. Um, but Roy Keane was just uh, the way he the way he was as a human being um, and, and the leader of a, of a dressing room was absolutely incredible. What was it he did that made you say that? Um, <clears throat> I think he was... I think he was incredibly calculated. I, I don't think Roy did anything ever um, that was, uh, you know, okay, maybe there was emotional times where he'd fly out, but I, I think everything was calculated. I think all of his interactions were calculated. I thought, I think his, his ability to influence a game by effort and tackling, and if he wanted something done, if he wanted, if he wanted a right winger to track back, Roy would track back beyond the center half and make a tackle to show the winger that you could do it. You can, you can move 10 yards to do it. I just showed you because I did it 70. Um, I, yeah, I, I think he's, I just think he's such an incredible uh, footballing brain. You know, we talk about, uh, I, I don't know. I, I see, I see it as this, I see it as poetry. He'd probably smack me for <laughs> saying that it's poetry, but I even, you know, I even, I even think about, um, which a lot of people don't like to talk about, but I, I but I do. Is you know when he when he had done his cruise ship and he come back he comes back all those months later and he and he uh, what I think broke Holland's leg and I, and I think for most people and and I'll talk about Messi and Ronaldo in a second about about this mentality I think for most people me included I'd be angry if someone stood over me mm-hmm. and said I was faking an injury yeah but after a month I think I'd forget after eight months I'd almost surely think <laughs> I I I've have so many other things that have my focus. Not with Roy. Roy was very calculated. He was very he he understood moments, whether you like it or not, whether whether we like it or not, and, and that that's that's not up for debate. Everyone has a side to it, but the fact that that was that things like that drove him, you know, yeah. and, and even even the Juventus game in the semifinal of the Champions League, mm-hmm. like knowing knowing that he's not going to make the final yeah. didn't matter. And I know a lot of players that would be their driving force. Go, whew. I don't want to get sent off here. It's a big moment, but I, yeah. I, want to, I want to make sure I play against in the final. So um, that was that was special. You was going to mention Messi and Ronaldo there. What, yeah. what, what was yeah. actually like facing Ronaldo in training, and and what do you think of his move now back at United? Yeah, but I mean, <clears throat> like I, I I always feel like a fanboy because I always tell people like, hey, by the way, I did play, play with Ronaldo. <laughs> like you know, I don't remember. Um, I, you know, I I think that the overriding thing for me is, and I tell people. With Ronaldo, I've, I've, I've been fortunate to be on this inside. With Ronaldo, 99% of the population see the fast cars, um, the yachts, the clothing, the underwear ads. The, they, they see everything, mm-hmm. but they don't see what made the man. And when I look at this 18-year-old boy coming over, leaving home, 
uh, you know, you hear doing stepovers around the uh, Carrington training ground after training, and, and uh, he he's so dedicated. Yeah, you see the abs. Yeah, it, that 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 means that you hydrate properly every day of your life, that you eat right every day of your life, that you're in the gym every day of your life. Like that's a massive sacrifice. Very few people have the ability to do that. Oh, by the way, he's also an amazing footballer, and and he works on that too. So if you think about you sleep for eight hours, there's not a lot of, not a lot of hours left in the day to work. Mm-hmm. He works. And, and so it's just, it's, we see the goals and we see all that, but that's, that's not, it's not what's made him. And that's what's special because people, most people, because they don't have the insight, you take yeah. that for granted. It's yeah. like, oh, he's a good football. He steps on the field, he scores goals. Yeah. But he's done that for 24 hours a day for the last 15 years, you know? Mm-hmm. So we spoke to Sir Alex Ferguson recently and yeah. I had asked him, did he know back then mm. how good he was going to be uh, for you facing him in training? Mm. Did you think the same way? I think, you it's know, it's hard I, to imagine, I suppose, yeah, how yeah. big he was going to be, yeah. but the potential. I think you knew, I think you know that there was a special player in there. I think even early on in the Premier League and he's still making people miss. Yeah, he was a tricky winger. Yeah, he took too many touches. Yeah, he dove too much. But you still thought, yeah, there was something in there mm-hmm. in training. You know, he, he, he's in, he, he gets there the same year I get there. He's making senior pros miss. He's making guys fall over. You know, the, the likes of Rio Ferdinand, who Rio didn't fall over, and Rio would also smack me if I said that. But he, <laughs> he, he, you know, he, you could see Rio was at the time when you talk about, you know, Rio and probably Alessandro Nesta, they're the best center, center halves in the world, in world football. And Rio has, Ronaldo has the respect of Rio. Mm-hmm. Whether it be you know in the canteen, whether it be on the training ground, whether it be shoulder barging each other or laughing, you could see he had the respect of these senior pros at 18 years old, having only played five or ten Premier League games. So, mm-hmm. could you imagine he'd be the greatest footballer ever? That's my opinion as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. I probably not. <laughs> probably not. But you saw there was something special in there. Yeah. We talked about uh, what happened against Porto, so mm-hmm. I don't think it would be fair. If we didn't finish that bit of that season, which is you winning the FA Cup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, firstly, and I open this up to everybody listening. Do you know when the, the last American to win the FA Cup was before you? Because I read this and it blew my mind. I think I know the answer, but go ahead. 1878. Jesus. <clears throat> Long time ago. Long time. Yeah, yeah. There was a bit of a gap between you winning in 2004 and the last one in 1878. Yeah. So uh, what was that moment like? Was the FA Cup something you were aware of? Did you know its history? And I guess yeah. you were just absolutely delighted to win something. Definitely knew the F- definitely knew the history of the FA Cup. Um, that was something that Americans kind of latch onto. As, as much as I said, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot on television. The FA Cup it did it had this mystique. It had this romance people talk about. So Americans did know. What I would say is, uh, you know, that was that was a greedy moment for me. You know, I, I had this what I thought was an incredible season. I was in the PFA Team of the Year. Had a had a charity shield, which seemed like a million years ago at that point. You know, from from August until May, as you know, the season gets long. And I and I, and I realized that not many not many Americans. Um, had ever had the chance, you know, one maybe had the chance to do it, and I could kind of cement my name um, in history. There was also two American goalkeepers playing uh, in in the Premier League at the time. I I arrogantly thought I was the best because I was 22 years old, and you couldn't tell me anything. And so, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to claw my way into that into that conversation as well. So, yeah, it's a special moment, absolutely. That was the year United were founded. Is that right? There you go. Special, 
See, there you go. That is special. There's some synergy there, which I love. Absolutely. Julian Sturgis was his name. Julian Sturgis. Oh, it's 1873. Know. I got the year wrong, so that ruined the whole. You know, you, ruined, you ruined it. Oh no, it's yeah, okay. I did. Yeah, yeah. We'll it's not the first time I've ruined something on this podcast. Might <laughs> <laughs> be the last. Tell us about playing for the national team during that mm. time as well, Tim. Something that obviously you were very proud of, and you yeah. obviously went on to be uh, the most capped. Yeah. Well, I think I think any football playing for your country is is everything. You know, no matter no matter who you are, no matter what club you play for. When you're when you're a kid, you, you dream about playing for your country. So uh, yeah, I was I was able to go to three World Cups and played in a couple. And it's you know I think that it's hard when you play for your club and country uh, at that level because you're always you know I talk about Ronaldo always having to look after himself. There's no like international breaks off and and, and everything goes hand in hand. You got to be playing for your club in order to play for your country. And then you know and so this is this is back and forth that continues and and you have to be very single minded, very focused. Um, but yes, representing my country, any football representing their country is, you know, it's gold dust. It, it's, it's what at the end of your career, you more than likely look back on with, with, with incredible fondness. Do you remember the hashtag things Tim Howard could save uh, trending course, after your 15 saves, <laughs> which is still the record, isn't it? For a single yeah, game at a World Cup. Yeah. I, I, listen, I love, I love when records get broken. Uh, I, I I pray to God no no goalkeeper ever has to break that record. Cause it's, a, it's a it's a it's a long it's a long day and you don't want to do it very often. That's for sure. Did all of that make you feel better about the elimination? Because I mean this might be wrong, but I have a feeling at the time you got a phone from Barack Obama, who would have been yeah, the president, yeah, and yeah. I guess there was so much uh, acclaim for you and your performance. Did, does that sort of soften the blow a little bit? Um, of you know, in terms of losing the game, yeah, and losing the game in extra time. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, look, I, I also think, look, as a, as a footballer, we we were underdogs, and that was that was Belgium's golden generation. I mean, you talk about how good they are now. That was when those those kids were like coming yeah. through. Whether they will ever achieve the success they're supposed to is yet to be seen. Um, but we were underdog. We weren't supposed to be in that game, and so when you look back on it. Um, you always want to win, but at the but at the same time, there is a there's certainly an element of I know I played really well. I'd be like a goal scorer losing, he's scoring a hat trick and losing the game. Mm. You, you know, you'd kind of be like, hey, I, I, I did a job and that feels good. So, yeah, I think for I think for American our generation and that team, the fanfare back home was so incredible. Yeah, we lost the game, but we were in the game. We could we could have gone to penalties. So like there was. The, the country loved us, the nation loved us. And, and so you can imagine losing a game and still having that feeling, getting phone calls from the president. So yeah, losing sucks. No, no one ever gets comfortable with that. But you know, when you give everything you have and you, and you lose to a better opponent, that's just part of the game. What's more daunting, speaking to the president or speaking to uh, the gaffer? Because <laughs> it's like, what number came up? Obviously, it doesn't come up the White House. <laughs> you must have no, a number. Listen, Is it like this? Listen, I don't know. Listen. Zero, yeah, zero, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Amazing. Hit the That's so cool. Listen, no, listen. It, <clears throat> Did you go? It's <clears throat> well. <laughs> first of all, he he doesn't actually pick up the phone and call you. Someone from the White House calls you. you, you <sighs> they have to go through like eight secure lines, and then they say you're on hold, waiting for the president. That being said, look, you just don't. Both speaking to Sir Alex Ferguson and Barack Obama, the president of the United States, are very similar in the fact that you just sit there and you try your best just not listen. to say anything stupid. <clears throat> and in fact, and in fact, I, I, Edwin Van der Sar came to Man United that year, came and went. We got to about April, 
And speaking to my agent, and he said, right, we're going to find some teams and you're going to, you know, we'll go on loan. And I said, okay, good. I'll speak to Sir Alex Ferguson and, I, and I'll let him know. And, and I told my wife at the time, I told my agent, I said, I'm going in. And I would go upstairs to the, I would walk upstairs. And I, for about a week, I walked upstairs and I would go to the canteen and his office door was there and it was closed. And I'd go, listen, and I didn't hear anything, but I, said, I think he might be on the phone. I'll come back tomorrow. And uh, t- it took me about it took me about a, about a, a week until I knocked on the door, and I think I stu- I stuttered and, and, and stumbled over some some words, and yeah, so that was they were both good. difficult. Brilliant. Can I just go back? I know I did touch on it briefly about maybe battles with Roy Carroll mm-hmm. that you had. Roy obviously got the nod mm-hmm. uh, for the final against Arsenal in yeah. two thousand five FA Cup final. What did that feel like for you on the sidelines watching? Sure. Well, you know, you're, every, every, every time you get to a cup final and United get to so many of them, you want to be in that, that cup final team. No matter how much you've given to the team, which also feels good throughout the course of that cup run, you always want to be in the final. That's, that's the icing yeah. on the cake and, and the cherry on top. And you want, you want that. But it wasn't to be that day. And, and you know, certainly Roy deserved that. And uh, obviously I wanted to be a part of another medal winning team, which again, didn't happen that day. Credit to Arsenal. But um, yeah, it's always, it's always hard missing out on, on a cup final. But I, when you're, when you're at United, I think you almost take solace. Certainly I did. Where I'm, I'm, I'm on the bench and I'm looking at like, this guy's a, a world star. And he plays for another club. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like it, someone's going to miss out. Top mm-hmm. players are always going to miss out. But it, you know, it hurts when you're, when you're not in the team. But it never affected your relationship? No, no. Again, Roy, Roy was brilliant. I, I've always said, I, you know, I have a soft spot for him. I think, you know, I tell people all the time, when you're a goalkeeper and you're sat on the bench, you want desperately for the other guy to make a mistake. You want desperately for your team yeah. to win 5-4 because yeah. uh, you want another chance. You yeah, know, it's not, you're not, a, you're not a midfielder. You're not a midfielder who can go on in the 70th minute and, and be dogged and run around. You either play or you don't play as a goalkeeper. Uh, but with Roy, I never really felt that. Roy was, he was brilliant. I loved him. Mm-hmm. Do you think so? Alex should have brought you on for penalties? Uh, who am I to say? Just yeah, no. just thought I'd whisper it. <laughs> no, I, w- I would have loved to. I mean, I, even I talk about fairy tales. Who, who knows? But uh, yeah. it wasn't meant to be. So uh, obviously, we know that not long after you mm-hmm. moved to Everton. But before we mm-hmm. get there, what were the highlights for you when you think about your time at United? Um, I think I think the highlights for me were um, just being a part of. You know, you, you talk about. Some some of United's greatest teams in the in the class of '92, and just feeling like I was able to play with some of those players, Scolzi and Giggs and and the Neville brothers, and and you know Phil, who I have a great relationship with from our time together at both clubs, and um, you know Roy Keane and Real Ferdinand. I was just you know being able to be coached by Sir Alex Ferguson and Ronaldo and Rooney, and just just the players I came in contact with, the the ability to um, you know to play in front of the Old Trafford crowd and be one of theirs not like not visitor you know a visiting team can always play old trafford that's 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 easy that's mm-hmm. normal but to play for that club represent that club and you know that that's you don't get that opportunity whether i was 22 or not you don't get that opportunity i don't think you're gonna pull that any better thank you thank you brilliant can I ask you, Tim, as well? You've spoke quite vocally mm-hmm. over the years about your faith in football. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did that help you at times when you were on the pitch, off the mm. pitch as well? It did, yeah. I think that, um, I think, you you know, my, my faith and, and my belief in, in, uh, in God was just something that brought me through, yeah, a lot of tough times. And I think people, you know, people have faith in all different things. And I think that's, I think that's okay. I think that's fine. You have to have a, 
have to have a reason, a driving force to to push you on because I think it's hard. Being a football mentally is so difficult. You know, it's only mm-hmm. now coming to the forefront. But there's some dark moments. There's some doubt. I mean, I think I think doubt probably is. I think doubt is probably 75, 80% of what footballers deal with every day. And mm-hmm. the good ones use it as a motivating factor. And the, the, the ones who don't make it, um, it becomes their demise. But yeah, it's, it, it was huge in terms of getting me through uh, moments that you think, uh, I've never been here before. What's this supposed to be like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. As, a, as, a, as a strength for you, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a strength, a guiding force. Um, Something to give, you know, give hope and motivation and direction. Yeah, absolutely. When did that come into your career? Always as a kid, um, or? Yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of, I've kind of always had that, you know, throughout my throughout my childhood. You know, I had a grandmother yeah. who was incredibly faithful. Made sure we we wore our Christmas best and at least got there as a family once once a year. But I would go, I'd go more often with her. So yeah, I had that throughout throughout yeah. my childhood. So when you first went to Everton. You went on loan. How did it come to the point that you were leaving Old Trafford? Was that your decision? Was it Sir Alex's decision? Were you happy about it? Um, I was happy to be playing. I thought, you know, having experienced the Premier League for three seasons, I now realized that I could be a Premier League goalkeeper. I wasn't going anywhere else, right? And I think, um, I think that when it, when we talk about you know Maisie said getting to getting to United too early, which he's right. What what happened was I got thrown in at the deep end, which is Normal. That's what they they you know they bought me to play me, mm-hmm. and and as a goalkeeper, we know goalkeepers get better with age because you get more repetitions, get more confidence, get all that stuff, and so I was on this I was on this goalkeeper learning curve. There was always going to be there was always going to be a, a dip. There was always going to be a time where I had to step back and learn my trade, and I hadn't done that yet. I was twenty two years old. I hadn't done that yet, and so um, I had to grow. I had to mature, and um, and so I knew that I, I didn't. I was in a really good spot. You know, I could have stayed at um, I could have stayed at, at United for ten years and, and been a very solid backup. Um, you know, and, and um, Sir Alex Ferguson said that. You know, mm-hmm. um, he, he said, "Look, we don't we don't we don't want to get rid of you because we see value in you." And I and I thought it was lip service at the time, but the further I got in my career, you know, he, he said, "Look, goal, good goalkeepers are, are are hard to come by." And I I spent thirteen years in Premier League and realized. I saw a lot of goalkeepers come and go throughout throughout the league. Mm-hmm. They're hard to come by, certainly that consistency. So I appreciated that sentiment. Um, you know, David Gill also mentioned that, you know, when I sat down with that with those two. And so but I wanted to play. <clears throat> I wanted to play, I wanted to play for my national team. Uh being a being second string wasn't on uh, I was too brash and arrogant and confident for that. And so I wanted to go away. And I, I just mentioned to the guy for that I wanted to, you know, wanted to go on loan. He was open to it. And um, you know, there was I'm lucky. Everton is brilliant. It's it's you know for me uh, one of the greatest things that ever happened to me in my life. You know, spending ten years with with that club and the, and the people there. Um, but I'm lucky because I had three teams. You know, when I was leaving United, that I could have gone on loan to, and out of respect, I don't I don't name the other two who were in the Premier League at the time. But they sunk fast. They sunk fast after that one or two seasons there in the Premier League, and so I was delighted that I was able to go to a club <laughs> ma- the magnitude of Everton. Um, and, and be able to become a household name there. When you when you actually joined Everton, did you see a difference in club and in culture and mm. from United? Yeah, yeah I did. <clears throat> I think that there was there was you know everything everything else was was much smaller on a scale. If that makes sense, I, I spoke yeah, yeah. earlier about like about like you have all these players who 
who were world class and they were they were the captain of Holland or the captain of, of France or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. they all came together, right? Everton was a bunch of working class players. You know, David Moyes was the manager, right? Mm-hmm. He came from Preston North and he had to sell in order to buy. He had to buy Phil Jagielka who could play in the six and he could play as a center half because he didn't mm-hmm. have money to get both. He had to buy Joel Lescott who played left back and center back. So you understand what I'm saying. He, yeah. That's the kind of budget he had to work on. That's the kind of people he recruited, right? He was also, as much as I said, United had this ability to go, hey, I'm bringing you in to score goals. If you don't score goals, we get somebody else. Everton didn't have that ability, right? So David Moyes had to make sure he got character right, he got performance right, he got talent level right because the money couldn't be wasted because we could go back and get yeah, yeah, yeah. someone else. So different sort of club. And, and you know, again, from from day one, it was it felt like I fit in. And then did we you decide? You yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, sorry, Tim. I was just going to say, did you then decide when the loan finished to make that move permanent because you were enjoying it so much? Uh, Yes, but I also think that like it's it's a lot simpler than that, right? Like Edwin, <clears throat> Edwin is world class, was world class. <clears throat> the performances warranted that he wasn't going anywhere. The team was going like that with him uh, straight up, and and I, I would I didn't want to go back because I w- I had a you know brilliant first season. Everton things felt like they were clicking, so that that was a place that I thought I was going to consider home for a long time. So yeah, it all kind of worked out, you know. And then then at that point, it was just about it was just about working out what the transfer fee would be. So, yeah, yeah. it was a little bit easier. I, I mean, you get you get halfway through a season like that and you're almost thinking, yeah, this is, I'll be here next year. Like, this is kind of normal, you know, so. Did it feel strange going back to Old Trafford? I felt, di- yeah, it felt difficult. Did you did you feel that you owed, owed one against them for letting you go or? No, I think that, <clears throat> I think that um, when, when we, when I would go back to Old Trafford, I felt it was daunting, you know, it was a place that, that, um, there were so many big moments, you know, particularly early in my career. Um, but I was always thankful. I was always thankful to United that, you know, again, they gave me a chance. I was in a position I was in at Everton and in the Premier League yeah. because because United took a chance on me. I think for me, the one game that I was able to kind of put all that to bed was a few years later um, in the FA Cup semifinal at, you know, at Wembley when we had the shootout. It was a good game. It was a tight game. You know, we won. Everton won a shootout. And for me, that was the day that it was just like, okay. You know, I'm able to put this to bed. Yeah. I feel like the, the the demon of the monkey's been been taken off my back, and and I can move forward. Well, uh, I think we have to let you go, Tim. But I, I do want to ask this: you are so engaging, and your stories are amazing. If you ever have a spare hour or two again, will you come back on and speak to us again? I would love to. I'd love to speak to you guys. This was great. I promise. I'm, awesome. I'm happy. Excellent. You let me know. Good. Yeah, Fantastic. we'll do that again because this would be great. Every other Thanks. story you've got, I want to hear. Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Amazing. It's good to see you, man. Helen, good to thanks. see you, Paul. You thank take you care, so mate. Much, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Cheers. Bye, everyone. Bye. Enjoy that one, Sam. Do you know what? I loved it. And I keep saying this, and there's a point where it's just going to get ridiculous. Don't say it was your it one of your favourites. It is one of my favourites. I think when you get, like, Americans are so confident as a... They're like, such as, good talkers. Yeah, and that's a stereotype. But generally, when you get very... Com- he's very confident and a really yeah. good storyteller and a really good talker. And he's just a joy to listen to. I liked hearing his stories. Put your phone on silent, Helen. Sorry. <laughs> um Yeah, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I really enjoyed it. What do you think, Maisie? Very good. Very good. What a... Um, what a rise to get to Old Trafford. Yeah. TC going over, watching him. And then just the whole journey from real college football into state football and then a massive move yeah, to Manchester such United. A, such a strange system, isn't it, that yeah. they have? Yeah. So difficult to break into the Premier League from that system. 
Very strange. What did you think of him saying that he thinks he joined United too early? Uh, well, I asked the question, didn't I? Do you, you think? Did. Yeah, and I think I think it's a good shout because as a goalkeeper, you come into your prime. Coming to United at 24, I think he came to United, which is very young for a goalkeeper. Immense pressure having to follow the people he had to follow. He actually said, you know, he wished he came to United later on, which is probably a good call because at Everton he was absolutely incredible, and maybe that. Introduction to the Premier League at Everton would have been a great foundation for him to then to come to United, but yeah. it was the other way around. You know what sort of blows my mind a bit? Because from the outside, it just seems so unlikely that him and Roy Carroll got on so well. Yeah. Because you'd think when you have two people, because I mean, you, can get, you can get two right backs, but you know, one could play left back or one could play centre back or they might be able to move into the midfield. Mm-hmm. So you know there's going to be opportunities for you ultimately to get on the pitch. But for a goalkeeper, that's it. There's one chance, there's one shirt. Mm-hmm. And you think when you had two people vying and actually swapping being the number one during the same season, that they would have been like, that, that would have been so competitive that it would have been impossible to have a friendship. And it seems like they really had one. Yeah. I think anybody would get on with Roy Carroll though. From our podcast, he's such yeah. a nice guy, isn't he? Yeah, and so is Tim. Lad. Great lad. We forgot to continue our count about how many goalkeepers we've had. Yeah, several now. Must have had at least ten. But just right. seven, eight, nine. Who's nine? Ten. Told you. Who are these two? Twelve. So we've had about twelve goalkeepers. Specifically, twelve. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I wasn't listening. I was reading the emails. <laughs> 12 goalkeepers. That's wow. unbelievable. Yeah. And do you know what? They've all been brilliant. Yeah, what lovely All guys. been very good talkers, which is a good sign of a goalkeeper. Absolutely. Good communicator. Yeah. I like to think they all meet up once a year. Should we do some emails? Simon Ravenscroft said, namesake, Simon. <laughs> Thank you. Love the pod. I always look forward to the upcoming podcast, so keep them coming. I'm a huge fan of the club, and it probably won't be a surprise to hear I'm a huge fan of Ronaldo. That passion I have for both the club and players inspired me to get my first tattoo a portrait of Cristiano Ronaldo. After that, I had the tattoo bug and continued to get more tattoos, including Sir Alex Ferguson, Eric Cantona, Paul Scholes, and Ryan Giggs. I'd love to know what you think of them. My goal now is to have the club or players to eventually see them. Thanks for your time. Um, awkward, we don't have a picture. He didn't attach it. He didn't attach Simon. Simon, you didn't attach Simon, your photo. You didn't Simon. Attach your photo. <laughs> Simon, thank you so much for your email. Please send us a picture, but before you send your picture, you need to get your David May tattoo yeah. in there as well. Um, and then send us that. And also Helen Evans. <laughs> and Sam. <laughs> and Simon. I genuinely thought you were hinting for Johnny. No, so I was hinting for us too. <laughs> right, the okay. podcast gang. Yeah, it's, it's another option. Simon, really, if you're that big of a fan of the podcast, yeah, there's true. only one way to the show podcast. it. Yeah, we, should, we should be tattooed on your skin forever. <laughs> Maisie, Helen and Simon. That'd be really weird having your own name on your body, wouldn't it? It would be. Yeah, yeah it would be weird. Um, I've got one from someone who doesn't actually put their name, just their email address. And I won't read their email address out because they might not want all the messages they get. Hi there, Sam, Maisie and Helen and the rest of the best podcast ever team. Just want to begin to say I've supported United since I was four or five. My mum's side of the family, United supporters, my dad's side are Liverpool. So quite challenging growing up in our house. Oh, it must have been like West Side mm. Story. There was me and my brother, my mum supporting United and my dad and sister supporting Liverpool, brackets, boo. Loving the podcast, loved every episode so far, listening to them all, now going through them again. Got my missus and kids listening now as well, as they are United fans like me. Keep up the great work. Thank you for what you do for this great club. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you very much indeed. Um, Hard to know what to say about the Liverpool supporting side of the family, isn't it? Mm. It must be difficult at Christmas. It's unfortunate. Think of the kids. 
Uh, one more. Fraser Blythe says, Morning. Really enjoying dipping in and out of the podcast. As a fan of the club, it is great to hear the stories of so many people associated with the club. Here are a few of my guest suggestions where possible. David De Gea. Good idea. Raphael and Fabio. Yeah, we got close, didn't we, before COVID? We, we were going to go to France. We need to get that trip back on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Luke Shaw. Teddy Sheringham. Mm-hmm. Gary Neville. Mason Greenwood. Gabrielle Hines. Nemanja Bilic. That is... Fraser's list. Thank you very Thanks, much Fraser. indeed. Thank you again for all of your emails. Thank you very much for listening. As always, if you want to, you can subscribe to our podcast and you can listen to it first on the official United app. Then it's out on every other platform on a Tuesday. Uh, you can get in touch United Podcast at mainnight.co.uk. That address is in the show notes and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.